Rise and shine, you Syracuse superfans. It's time to pour yourself a tall, delicious glass of orange fizz. Syracuse recruiting news, insider information, latest SU buzz. The Syracuse blogosphere comes to life on the central New York airwaves. It's Fizz Radio. Welcome into Fizz Radio on the score 1260. Thomas Schultz alongside with Brad Klein. And we'll be with you all the way up until the 10 o'clock hour this morning as Syracuse prepares to take on Clemson down in Death Valley at 2 p.m. today. And Brad, look, Jim Beheim said Ram Sidibe might play against Louisville. Of course, that game is postponed due to the Cardinals' COVID-19 situation. But seems like maybe Barama, we finally see him play today more than a month later than he was supposed to play. But what do you expect Barama to bring to the court? Because for me, this seems like an opportunity where he just kind of gets back into it, gets a feel for the game. Not a lot expected of him, but just gets, you know, 15, 20 minutes to get his feet back under him. Well, Thomas, the thing is, I don't think Barama Sidibe is playing unless he's 110%. You mentioned before, he was supposed to come back last month, and Syracuse has been taking their time with him. Look, the bottom line is, Sidibe is going to have an extra year of eligibility, and it seems pretty clear that he's going to use it, because this is no way to go out, even for a guy like Sidibe. So, he'll be back next year, but Syracuse is not going to risk anything for next year either. They know that he's going to be 100%. I expect him to play 25 minutes, whatever it is, barring foul trouble, and I expect him to be impactful too. Look, this is a Syracuse team that's been in desperate need of a center like Sidibe, and I can't remember the last time Syracuse fans were calling for Sidibe to be on the floor, but that's what we have right now because that's how desperate the Orange are in the middle. Yeah, I I mean, look, right now Syracuse ranks 295th in Kimpom and offensive rebounding rate to the other team, so (laughs) clearly they are missing him on defensive rebounds for the Orange. And Look, Clemson's not a great rebounding team, but basically every team that plays Syracuse is going to be better than the Orange, and I think you mentioned, Brad, that, look, Barama Sidibe is not going to play unless he's 110%. I agree with that. I think you're right, especially we've seen how long it's taken him to just get back on the floor uh, in the past couple of months. I I don't know what Jim Beheim runs out there because I don't think there's anybody that you can take off the floor and start on the bench, even if they end up playing the same amount of minutes. Like, are you bringing Merrick Dolzhai off the bench? Because you can't do that with Quincy Garrier, Alan Griffin, and you can't, you know, sh- go down further from that and take Gerard or Buddy Beheim off the bench to bring in another big. It, it seems like Barama Sidibe, I don't know if you disagree thinking Dolishai is going to be the guy coming off the bench, but I would take Sidibe and bring him off the bench and just get acclimated, reacclimated to the game and maybe more of a as-it-goes-per-game basis to see where you want to put him in the lineup. No, absolutely not. You can't do that because Sidibe has to be on the floor for defense. And you see Syracuse bleeding in the middle with Dolishai just physically having no answer as a center in the middle of the 2-3 zone. If Barama Sidibe is healthy, he has to play. And look, rotation is going to be a very interesting question that will be answered on Saturday, on to- uh, today, because you need to keep Dolajai on the floor. Garrier has to play. It seems like Alan Griffin has to start. I think the only answer is to sit Joe Girard. I mean, he's the weak link in the starting rotation right now. I understand that you're without a point guard at that point, but... What are you going to do? Alan Griffin's going to have to bring the ball up. And those are growing pains that are going to be felt. But I've been saying this all along. That is Syracuse's best lineup, assuming Alan Griffin can mold into a player that can facilitate an offense. But honestly, that's a little bit of a tangent here, talking about Barambas Bay. 
is just, in terms of expectations, the expectations I feel like are going to be inflated uh, by Fizz Nation just because the the need for Sidibe is at an all-time high. So everyone is jacking up the importance of Barama Sidibe, and he is absolutely vital to the team, but we might be forgetting what he actually is, which is at times a liability on offense, pretty good defender, but you still are rolling your eyes every time he's on the floor. Yeah, you are. He's Brad Klein. I'm Thomas Schultz here on Fizz Radio all the way up until the 10 o'clock hour here on the score 1260. And Brad, I'm just looking at Brahma City based stats from last year, excuse me. And you're right. This is a guy who averaged six points a game, pulled in seven and a half rebounds. But those last few games, yeah. and I remember we had this conversation over and over last season where you're saying, well, he's starting to turn a quarter a corner a little bit. You know, he had 13, 17, and a couple of duds against Boston College and Miami, nine and two apiece before finishing the season with 12 against North Carolina. I think the expectations, especially because of how necessary Barama City Bay is to this lineup, people are going to say, I want 10 and 8 from him. Well, yeah. you might just not get that. But if you can get, I think the thing about Barama Steve here is that you don't really need him to score. Now, if he gives you anything, fantastic. That's amazing. But what you need him to do is rebound the basketball. If he can get you eight rebounds a game, this team goes from this middling ACC team to maybe the tier two of the ACC. That's true. Because that's the biggest thing. That's why they lost to UNC's. They just didn't have a rebounder. That's true. But let me ask you this, Thomas. Which version of Barama Sidibe will Syracuse see? I agree with you. They don't need Sidibe to score in bulk, okay? But there was that Penn State game early last year where he finished with two points and one rebound on one offensive rebound putback. Those were his stats for the day. One play. And I remember Penn State out-rebounding Syracuse by a million in that game. I was actually at that game. It was a very unfortunate experience, okay? That version, or or the last few games of last season, which version do you think Syracuse will see? Because I'm anticipating, at least at first, Penn State version, Sidibe, closer to at least the Penn State version. Yeah, I... <laughs> I don't think it's going to be either of those two extremes. I think it's going to be somewhere in between, but I do lean towards your thinking there, Brad, that it's probably going to be a little bit more towards the Penn State thing. Now, here's the thing about Sadibe is, look, if he's giving you one board, if he has zero rebounds, two rebounds through the first <laughs> half, if I'm Jim Beheim, I'm like, dude, <laughs> you're getting off the floor. Like, we can, we already know what this is. We already have this in Merrick Dolajai down there where maybe we don't have a great rebounding presence, but he does so many other things so well that you kind of live with it. If Baramis Vive isn't rebounding, he doesn't need to score. He can give you zero points, which isn't great, but if he's giving you seven rebounds to boot, you'll take it. But he just, if he's not rebounding, he shouldn't be on the floor because there's so many players, there's so many guys on this roster who give you the versatility in different areas that if he's not rebounding, I don't care if he's not scoring, but he needs to rebound the basketball. So when he comes back, Brad, honestly, six points, five rebounds a game, which I think is still kind of an improvement. At least it gives you a guy to let Merrick Dolajai sit on the bench and just kind of regain his energy before he comes back into the game. Gives you an option that's still a low post threat. Well, the other thing is growing pains, I feel like, are going to be a motif here with Barama Sidibe. First few games and, and really just leading up to tournament time, whether that's the NCAAs or the NIT. And I think the growing pains that you're really going to see are that, well, the foul trouble has always been a problem for Sidibe, and that's going to be 
a big thing early on in this this shortened season for Sidibe because that's a feel thing. And that's the type of thing that Sidibe especially has to work on progressively. He's only played four minutes this year. So I, I expect him to be in foul trouble early and often. And that's why if I'm Dolajai, I'm not going to hang up my center shoes just yet. He's going to have to play the five a lot more this year. He is. And the thing is, when you talk about foul trouble, maybe you think, well, all right, Barama Sidibe, yeah, he got in foul trouble last year, but he was probably playing a lot of minutes. That's not true. Let's look at his stats from last year. He fouled out in four straight games, and he didn't play above 25 minutes in any of them. Against Louisville, he played 11 minutes, and he fouled out. It's like, this this is a problem that is probably going to get worse before it gets better, because Barama Sidibe's, look, He's played four minutes, like you said, Brad. There's going to be some period where he's like, all right, I got to readjust to playing ACC competition. By the way, of course, those four minutes came into the season opener against Bryant. So this is the thing where it's like, I don't know if he needs to come off the bench. It, it really depends, I think, in practice where Jim Beheim says, yeah, you might be 110%, but man, you've got some rust that you've got to shake off and we're just going to sit you on the bench because we still think Merrick Dolzhai is the guy to go with or is the best rebounder as bad as it sounds right now as Sidibe still works back. And that's a problem because if you see Beheim start with Sidibe on the bench, maybe that gives you a little inclination that eh, he's not exactly where you need him to be in that form where he was at the end of last season. It's a little bit tangential, Thomas, but I really want to get your perspective on this. What's your starting five? You, you really think that Sidibe is going to sit against Clemson today? Well, so, all right. If we're going with the starting five, and this is obviously mine and not what Bayheim's going to do, I'm putting Kadari Richmond at point guard. Okay. I'm putting Buddy Bayheim at shooting guard. Alan Griffin, of course. Quincy is going to start. And I, I think it, it, this is one of the things where we just don't know where Sadibe's at. Let's, like, let's if assume Sidibe he's 100%. On, let's assume he's Barama Sadibe of old. Uh, Barama Sadibe of the end of last season? Let's do middle. Let's say he's somewhere between dreadful Sidibe and peak Sidibe. Just for argument's sake, I'm curious about this. This is, I, I think it's tough because you think every game you're like, well, this guy can give you 10 boards. He can also give you three. And Merrick Dolajai, every game is going to give you five or six. So, look, he's so scrawny down there, but I think I would still stick with Dolajai. And if you're just getting bombarded on the glass, then you have to put Sidibe in. Like, he's going to play regardless, but at least to start out, you got to say, all right, Dolajai, you do so many things well, go out there, give us some minutes, and then we'll go from there and see how the game progresses. All right. I, I mean, that's that's one school of thought. I will say that Sidibe, I think, has more potential at the five. And right now for Syracuse, they have their backs against the wall when it comes to the NCAA tournament being on the bubble. And we're going to get to that later in the show, Thomas. But for a team that needs a spark, it sounds crazy, but maybe, just maybe, that spark comes from Sidibe. And it's not going to happen unless he starts. Yeah, Brett, I think you're right that Barama Sidibe can be that guy, as crazy as it might sound, to give you the spark. Um, I don't think he has to start to give it to you, right? Like, I think he can be an energizer off the bench. You can see if Merrick Dolajai is playing poorly. All right, let's put in Barama Sidibe and see what he can do. See if he can rebound the basketball better. That's a guy that... Syracuse could have really used against UNC, right, where they just got shredded on the glass. Baram Sidibe, whether he's starting or coming off the bench, could be the guy to really turn that game or a future game around. But he's not going to be the guy game in a game out to give you that spark off the bench. Like you said, like, Kadari Richmond has been that guy. He was the guy against NC State. Now there's arguments of whether he should start or not. I think he should, but he's going to give you that energy regardless 
Quincy Garrier, Alan Griffin, there are a couple of other guys who can provide that energy. It's not a team where it's all on the shoulders of one or two guys, like Buddy Beheim. Sometimes he has great games, sometimes he doesn't. Same with Joe Girard, even though he's been a little bit lackluster this year. Nobody has to be the guy game in and game out, and that's no different for Brahma Sidibe. He can come off the bench and be that person. But when we come back, we're going to switch gears a little bit here, go into the football team. National Signing Day was on Wednesday. We'll break it all down. On the other side of the score, 1260, you're listening to Fizz Radio. Welcome back into Fizz Radio on the score, 1260. Thomas Schultz joined alongside by Brad Klein. And a little bit later, we'll be joined by a special guest, Will Vandervoort of Clemson A Insider, breaking down all of the stuff you need to know about the game coming up at 2 p.m. down at Little John Coliseum. But Brad, right now, National Signing Day, the real National Signing Day, official National Signing Day, was yesterday, and Syracuse landed a couple of more guys to their class, Chase Simmons, a strong defensive end. He's from South Carolina, actually, near Myrtle Beach, and Jacob Bradford, yet another offensive tackle. He's a JUCO guy from Iowa Central Community College, but get this, Brad, 6'4 300 pounds. It's pretty clear that Dino Baver said, hey, if there's one thing we need to address in this recruiting class, it's got to be the two sides of the line. Yeah, and, and and the other thing is you can't forget about Chris Bleich coming in and he's going to be eligible now at a transfer from Florida. Everyone thought he was going to play this past year. So you're right, Syracuse needs some muscle in the trenches and it looks like they're getting it with Bradford and, and the addition of Bleich too. I will say that it's great for Syracuse to have a JUCO transfer over just, hey, we're getting this relatively big freshman who could be good one day because you don't want it to be another Matthew Bergeron situation where desperate times call for desperate measures and you have to start a true freshman at tackle on the offensive line. You can't have that in Syracuse. It looks like they're going to be a little bit more muscled down low. Yeah, the thing about the offensive line is it's easy to say, oh, this guy's a four-star, this guy's a five-star. What you need more than anything is a guy with some experience. And Jacob Bradford is going to bring that to Syracuse. He chose the orange over Virginia Tech, still has three years of eligibility remaining. So that's an underrated, pretty big coup for Dino Babers and his staff. But Brad, before we really delve into this class, I mean, what are your thoughts on National Signing Day now? Because now it's just kind of like, oh yeah, it's uh, National Signing Day. Forgot about it. I remember, you know, four or five years ago, I was I was hyped. I was amped up. I was like, days before in the week, I was like, all right, let me check out what's going on here. Like, check out all the information. Now I'm just kind of like, oh, I forgot. National Signing Day is today. Pretty cool. It's just not not the same effect as it used to be. No, no. With the with all the early signings, especially for Syracuse, it's just anticlimactic. I almost did a double take when you said, oh, by the way, National Signing Day was yesterday. It just completely falls under the radar because it doesn't really matter for Syracuse, especially at this point. I will say this, though. It's official. Not that it wasn't official weeks ago, but <laughs> I remember you and I being on Fizz Radio weeks, months ago, and we were talking about, oh, look at Syracuse very, very early in the recruiting process. And their class right now is ranked higher than Alabama's. Look out. But now Alabama has seven five stars. And they're, it's, I think, the highest rated recruiting class in the Saban era. So that ship has sailed. So that's all. That's all that signing day really means for Syracuse. Yeah, Alabama has signed, I think, 10 of the top 50 recruits in the country. So... I don't think that dynasty is ending anytime soon. But back to Syracuse here, Brad. I mean, 
look, they're 12th in the ACC out of 14 teams. They surpassed Duke, even though they had four more recruits signed with the Orange than the Blue Devils. So I think overall your expectations for Syracuse, it, it sounds weird because you placed pretty poorly in the ACC, but compare after coming off a one in 10 season, after everything that Syracuse has dealt with, where it seems like they were kind of slipping downwards. Is it wrong to say that this class I'm not disappointed in? I'm pretty happy with this for Syracuse. I think for me, at least it seems like, you know, you're not where you want to be, but this is kind of where they are in the ACC recruiting wise. It's hard to recruit to Syracuse and the dome. And this is, while it's pretty low in the ACC, a pretty, pretty good class. You fill some big holes. Yeah, you know, it's it's not wrong. I, I think Syracuse netted some under-the-radar guys that could eventually help them in a big way. And and the other thing is Syracuse right now is extremely young to begin with. So in theory, there is almost less of an importance on this recruiting class than past years because you already have your foundation for the next two, three, even four years potentially. So if you're Syracuse, you have to kind of look around and smell the roses, because you're not a good ACC team. That's the reality, right? So how are you going to recruit well in Syracuse, New York, where the recruiting ground is extremely unfertile to begin with, and you're not winning football games? That's the bottom line. So if you're Dino Babers, take what you can get. It looks like, again, they have some guys, and and hopefully if you're Syracuse, you A, find find an, an unsung hero in this recruiting class, someone that was completely underrated or not rated at all, and you hope he performs well, or you have to develop guys. Thomas Schultz, Brad Klein with you here on the Score 1260 on Fizz Radio. We'll be with you all the way up until the 10 o'clock hour as Syracuse prepares to tip off with Clemson down in Death Valley. We'll have Will Vandervoort with us a little bit later to break down that matchup. But, Brad, yeah, I think you're right. Is They filled some holes here, and I think something that Dino Babers, a mistake he made previously, was saying, you know what, we really don't need to... He he didn't have as many offensive linemen as he needed. That's not going to be a mistake he makes twice. Syracuse, I believe, now has six offensive line commits in this class. So these aren't guys that they're going to need to start right away. I mean, like you mentioned earlier, Chris Bleich is coming back. Make a, maybe Jacob Bradford plays as a JUCO transfer. But look, they're filling guys for the future. And they still brought in guys. You brought in Justin Lampson. You brought in Deuce Chestnut, who's obviously your top-rated commander, and the guy that Nick Monroe, look, every year he brings in guys in the secondary. He recruits them up, and it seems like Syracuse is going to have three picks from its secondary in the 2021 NFL Draft this year, so not a problem there. Then you got your wide receivers. It seems like the positions that Dino Babers really values here, he really did a good job of recruiting um, compared to years past. The only one that maybe I would appreciate some more guys from is the defensive line, but really... You filled the holes. These aren't a lot of guys that you need to play right away because of how you mentioned, Brad, how young the roster is. But these are guys for the future that are going to be pretty impactful players. Well, the other thing is with the defensive line, you land Chase Simmons, the defensive end, who flipped from Coastal Carolina to Syracuse. And by the way, that sounds, or rather it is, a lot more impressive than it sounds because Coastal Carolina was really good this past year and the Orange landed him from Coastal Carolina. And this is a team that is transitioning or has already transitioned to the 3-3-5, which is not a, a very typical base formation. So it's going to be a little bit more difficult to recruit for that system if you're Tony White. So I think the Orange are still trying to morph their personnel to fit the system, which is another thing that you really have to take into account when you evaluate this recruiting class. 
Well, yeah, I mean, you mentioned Coastal Carolina. They're a better place right now. They're in a much better place than a lot of Power 5 schools. And Jamie Chadwell, like, if he had gone to a different job, you could say, all right, well, I understand why Simmons is is going to Syracuse. But he's staying there. So that is an underrated, pretty big uh, get for Dino Babers and his staff. But, you know, Brett, I mean, is is there some guys in this class? I know you just had the two recent guys yesterday in Jacob Radford and Chase Simmons. But... Is there a couple of guys, because there is for me, especially Justin Lampson, Deuce Chestnut, of course, those are the guys at the top of the class, but even a guy like Jatias Gear, who's a really big, strong defensive end who I think could come in, play inside, play outside on the 3-3-5 defensive line that could be a really impactful player probably sooner rather than later. Is there a couple of guys who really stand out to you for this Syracuse team going into the future? Maybe not next season, but two, three years down the line. I mean, to me, I'm looking at Malcolm Folk. He has some pretty good size, 6'1", 191 right now, coming in as a safety. And I feel like he might be the kind of player that really fits under Nick Monroe and Tony White. I think he could be not an Andre Sisco, but he's the type of, of, of a defensive back and a safety that has the speed and has the muscle to potentially get plenty of plays drawn up for him like they did for Sisco. Again, I'm not comparing him to Andre Sisco, I'm not saying he's the next Andre Sisco, but he's the type of guy that could eventually morph into a player that changes a defense and effectively changes the opposing offenses too. Yeah, I mean, look, you can look at this class and say, oh man, they were 12th in the ACC, but Dino Babers brought in some pretty talented guys and some guys that they're really high on. Josh Huff is another one, a real, really big 235-pound running back who's probably going to play immediately but it's it's overall I think it's a good class and it's going to be really intriguing to see what they can do in the future but speaking of intriguing we got a big time matchup down in Clemson coming up in just a couple of hours and we'll be joined right after the break by Will Vandervoort Clemson insider to break down all the things you need to know about Clemson basketball stick with us you're listening to Fizz Radio on the score 1260. Welcome back into Fizz Radio on the score 1260. Thomas Schultz joined alongside by Brad Klein. And now we welcome in our special guest, Will Vandervoort of Clemson Insider. Will, thanks so much for taking the time to join us today. Now, Clemson, they were one of the hottest teams in college basketball at the start of the season. They've lost four of their last six. Can you just give us a brief overview of what's happened to the Tigers recently? (laughs) Man, that's a great question. Um, you know, it's been Jekyll and Hyde, to be honest with you. Um, you saw what they did against Louisville and North Carolina. Um, were really good defensively in both those games. Um, and then in the other games, it's just like the defense didn't show up. Now, I think part of that problem is the fact they just can't score with the basketball at times. Um, you know, and, and you saw that against Virginia, who obviously has got one of the better defenses in the country um, and defensive efficiency and stuff like that. So they're going to cause problems automatically. But Florida State gave them some issues with their length and, and, and really caused some issues. And then Georgia Tech, the reason what happened there was Clemson turned the ball over 20 times. And when you turn the ball over that many times, especially with Georgia Tech and as good as they are offensively, you know, you're giving them extra possessions. They're going in transition and making baskets and, um, and I think that was part of the problem there. So it's been a it's been a hodgepodge of things, if you will, of what's caused Clemson to have that slide. Um, but they might have corrected some things the other day against North Carolina. Um, offensively, they probably shot the best they have in a while. They came in with a lot of energy in that game, and the defense created some turnovers that allowed them to have some transition points, and uh, they were able to uh, 
play better against North Carolina, won that game. And when Clemson's defense can kind of set the tone, they're always going to be better. And you saw that against North Carolina where it really kind of allowed them to turn over. I think North Carolina turned the ball over 17 times. And Clemson actually, you know, had more transition points than North Carolina, which I mean, probably maybe the third game this year, Clemson's done that to a team. So when Clemson can get those kind of baskets that are created by their defense and it creates offense, obviously, then they're a much better team. However, that's going to be difficult against Syracuse for Clemson offensively. They're going to have to shoot the ball better than they have in the last month or so um, because obviously Syracuse with its own defense is, is the most challenging if you can't make a basket outside outside that zone. So, Well, I want to look at personnel for a second. This time last year, you asked a Syracuse fan who they're most concerned about when it comes to Clemson basketball the overarching answer is going to be Tevin Mack, but he's gone now with graduation. And what has Clemson done to really make up for his loss? Well, well, what they what they've been what they did earlier in the year is they had a kind of a couple guys that that filled that role: Jonathan Bear, um, and then uh, Hunter Tyson uh, were the two guys, um, and they both played well early on. Then Tyson got hurt against Alabama, where he broke his face literally broke his face and um so you know he's wearing like that bane mask now you guys will see um so he uh, but he was out for like a month and that really hurt him um and then bear i think just having to take on that role individually by himself maybe wasn't prepared for it i don't know um because he's coming back to alpha two acl injuries and um you know he kind of digressed a little bit as well but now you see both those guys now that Tyson's back you're seeing both those guys again excel and the other day you saw uh Tyson had 16 points in the second half and he's a big part of Clemson and so when they attack this zone it's going to be him and Amir Sims I think are going to have to make those elbow jumpers as you guys know which is the key against Syracuse is making that 15 foot jump shot uh in the middle there that kind of opens things up underneath and so I think he's going to start with Amir Sims and then what those other two guys do will also pay uh, will be big in this game against Syracuse Thomas Schultz Brad Klein with you here on Fizz Radio and we're joined by our special guest Will Vandervoort of Clemson Insider now Will Clemson only has you mentioned one player scoring above 10 points per game in Amir Sims uh, the team scoring around 64 per game 41 percent from the field which is the worst in the ACC is this something that's what's wrong with the offense or is this just kind of how they play well, some of it is how they play. Let's just be honest. They're, they're going to limit possessions and things of that. They're going to put on-ball pressure on defense. It's going to shorten the game. So so a lot of it is they shorten – that the game's going to be shorter anyway because of the way they play defense. However, they, they, they don't shoot the ball well either, as the statistics show you, as you just mentioned, only 41% shooting and then three-point shooting. You didn't mention that. I think they're last in the ACC in that category as well. Now, they'll take a lot of three-pointers, but they won't make – hardly any <laughs> so uh but so a part of it is they just don't have any consistent shooters um Amir is you know he's a guy that yes he can step back and can make a three-pointer um and, and and kind of push the defense out a little bit especially the post guys but he's not going to consistently make it he's not as he doesn't make that shot as well as he did a couple years ago um so um so he's digressed there a little bit and that's kind of hurt um and then you know early in the year they had some, um, you know, uh, Alamir Dawes um, and Nick Honor were making those threes. But then in the last month or so, they both kind of um, – first thing, Dawes got injured. He had a groin injury. That didn't help. 
Um, and then Honor, I think just he just kind of got worn down. He's playing against bigger guards and things of that nature when he got into ACC play. And um, I think that's contributed to part of his uh, decline as well. So uh, now they, they both were better the other day. And just like I said, I don't know what's going to happen in this game because Clemson's going to have to make those shots. But right now, I just think part of the problem is they're just not very good at shooting the basketball, and it just kind of comes down to that. Talking to Will Vandervoort here from Clemson Insider. And, Will, it seems like Hunter Tyson's a really peculiar player because there are some games where he really shines. Had that big game against North Carolina, which, by the way, was dubbed as a really big win. But Tyson puts up 16 against UNC was scoreless in limited action against Duke the game prior. What makes him successful when he's on, and why does he disappear at times? Well, I think it's really just more what the defenses do, to be honest with you. Um, you know, he's not a he's not a great shooter. You know, he's a guy that I think mid-range jumper is, is really good. And so, he you know, he can actually um, make those kind of shots and, and can do well. But he's, you know, he's got the potential to make three-pointers. He just hasn't made many. Um, I think part of the problem why you saw him, again, go back to he got injured, um, you know, um, had the – the fracture in the face and against Alabama. And, um, you know, so he had to come back. So he missed, he missed about a month of the season. Then he had a couple games where you kind of got to get used to wearing that mask. If anybody's worn one of those things, I haven't, but just talking to other players, I've had to deal with it in the past. It's, it's hard to come. It's hard to cut right back into what you were doing before because you got to get adjusted to that. And then you got to get adjusted to your sight lines and things of that nature. And, um, you know, so it, it kind of puts a different spin on a shooter and I think he's had to get used to that. And I think you've seen him, you know, kind of – I think that North Carolina game was maybe a big confidence game for him in that mass because it was his best game, obviously, for that. Um, and so now he has provided some energy in other ways in other games where, you know, he, he's a good rebounder um, and he's probably one of Clemson's best rebounders, to be honest with you. And he's also – what surprised me, and if you go look at the North Carolina game, he's very physical. I mean, he actually, even though he was giving up about – four or five inches on some of North Carolina's bigs, he actually stood in there and did a really good job. I thought, you know, post those guys up or at least, you know, giving them issues on the defensive end of the court more than they probably thought they were going to. I think he showed he's stronger than they thought. Um, and that's um, maybe that can for Clemson going forward. That'll be good for them. Now, Will, what's John's new John Newman status for the Syracuse game? And what do you know about the disciplinary issues that kept him, out of the UNC game on the second. Yeah, uh, not sure. Uh, Coach uh, Coach Brownell has been pretty close to the vest on this one, guys. Um, and as far as he's questionable for this game, when uh, we asked him um, after the game the other night what was the situation there, you know, he said it was disciplinary. That's why he didn't play and that it could be a two-game suspension as well. So, he kind of left it open a little bit, but he sounded pretty mad, <laughs> to be honest with you. It was a it was a pretty direct, short answer and that he gave us. And, and Coach Brownell usually is long-winded with answers. He wasn't long-winded with that one. He kind of looked a little mad and irritated about the situation. And so I don't know what happened. I don't know, you know, any of that stuff. Uh, other I can just tell you, just reading body language, it didn't sound, sound like uh, Brownell was too happy about it. So we'll see. Right now I will say he's questionable for this game. Um, we'll see if um, in the last couple of days if he's, uh, got, he's got out of the coach's doghouse. 
Now, Will, I, I'm pretty sure this is your first time on Fizz Radio, and if it is, I, I'm obliged to tell you that we're big into Ken Palm. That's a big thing okay. here at the Fizz. So we have that you guys have the 15th best adjusted defense in the country. That's according to Ken Palm. Now, do you expect that defense to dictate the pace and prevent Syracuse's shooters from getting hot? Because if there's one thing that the country knows about Syracuse is that they can shoot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would imagine the the goal is going to be to try to, A, first of all, what Clemson likes to do, as I said, their on-ball defense is is really good, especially when Clemson can make baskets on the offensive side and, and really kind of set up their defense. And you saw that against North Carolina. And um, that can really cause some issues, especially if you don't have a really good point guard. Um, and they can put a lot of pressure on them, which is going to kill about, you know, that eight to ten seconds to allow a team to go down and set up their offense right there. And that allows Clemson to kind of do what they want to do. Clemson likes to play a lot of man. Um, and, and it's kind of one of those, like Virginia, very nagging um, man-to-man defense where they're just constantly on you and they never re- – they're relentless and, you know, they're physical. They're going to, you know – I mean, they, they don't want to get in foul trouble, but they're going to have their share of fouls, trust me. And if you try to go – do anything at the basket they're going to make sure you're not and if you do you know they're going to make sure if you try to make a shot at the basket it's going to be a hard physical foul if they get it or it's going to be a hard physical uh, defense so that's what they do that's why they're so good defensively uh for the most part i think if you're syracuse the keys to get out in transition so if clemson is missing shots like they did against duke which was i'll be honest guys that was one of the worst basketball games i've seen in my career um you know, Clemson couldn't make anything. And, like, the Duke was taking those long rebounds and was running in transition, and that was the key for Duke in that game. I think Duke had 25 transition points in that game, uh, which is ridiculous, right? I mean, to get that many transition points. And, um, you know, that was a big part of that ball game. And if so Syracuse, if Clemson's missing and they can get those long rebounds and get in transition, that's going to help their shooters get down the court and be able to make some plays. Um, but if it's a slow-paced kind of game like Clemson likes – then, you know, it favors Clemson, I think, because their defense, they're going to make sure they have people in shooters' faces, especially knowing a team like Syracuse can come in and, and, and go lights out if you keep them open too long. We're joined by Will Vandervoort here on Fizz Radio, the score 1260. Of course, he works for Clemson Insider. And, Will, you mentioned that the way for Syracuse to really do well in offense here is to get out in transition. But for Clemson's offense, who's the guy, who's the player? You mentioned Amir Sims, but who's somebody that Syracuse fans really need to watch out for heading into this Saturday game? Um, two guys that I thought played much better uh, the other day, that, and, and, and one guy in particular, but I'm going to mention two guys, and I mentioned them earlier too. Alamir Dawes, one, um, he didn't start the other day, um, which was interesting. They started Nick Honor, um, and I thought Dawes came off the bench and played better because of it. Um, so he's been turned, he turned the basketball over a lot against Duke, had some issues. Um, also, um, you know, in the win over uh, Louisville. So I think, you know, Brownell kind of like, okay, we got to stop these turnovers. We got, you know, you got to fix that. And so he put honor in who's, who's a lot better with the basketball. Um, but he honors more of a pure shooter than Dawes is. And so they like to get him on screens and to shoot the ball. Um, so I will look at those two guys honor. If he gets hot, He's difficult. He could be the guy that will cause a lot of problems for you guys um, because he can really get going. He's a streaky guy. He can shoot it from anywhere on the floor. Um, he's not afraid to drive to the basket either. Um, so, you know, he'll try to he'll try to penetrate that zone, which you have to do. 
Um, and then I would say the other guy that you really need to watch out for, um, and, and this is where Clemson's going to miss uh, John Newman because Newman is a guy who can penetrate. But I would say Clyde Trapp is a guy um, as a guard that he's not a good shooter, but he's a good driver with the basketball. And he really gave North Carolina fits the other day, uh, driving in the lane and creating plays. And that opened up a lot of things on the outside for Clemson um, with their shooters. So uh, those would be the three guys I would, wa- I would watch the most uh, when it comes to offensive ability to score with the basketball if they get hot. Will Vandervoort from Clemson Insider joining us on the score 1260 on Fizz Radio. And Will, we'll get you out of here on this score prediction, Syracuse and Clemson. <laughs> score prediction. Well, Syracuse and Clemson is always pretty close from what I understand. Um, and just going off my memory here. Um, well, the last time, the last time Syracuse beat Clemson on the road was that Tyus battle buzzer beater, 82-81 hit the three to win it. So it's always close, it seems like. Right. And Syracuse zone is going to cause issues for anybody, right? I mean, we all know that. We've seen it for, what, a hundred of years, it seems like. You know, know how long Bayhound's been playing that zone, obviously. I was a kid, okay? That's when that's how long they've been playing it. So I remember it very well, even as a kid. And uh, so, you know, you're not going to score much against Syracuse. And Clemson's not a scorer anyway, to begin with. So I look at this kind of being a like that 65-61 kind of game. Um, you know, so I think it goes down to the last few minutes. Not sure who's going to win it. Um, if I had to give an edge, Clemson's only played one bad game at home all year, and that was against Virginia. They've been pretty good at home. I may give Clemson a slight edge for that. Um, only 1,800 people in attendance, but they've been a pretty vocal 1,800. Uh, they got they do provide some energy. So, um, you know, I'll give Clemson a slight edge, maybe like 65-61 kind of deal like that. That's what kind of game I think it's going to be. It'll be interesting. It always is, as you mentioned. That's Will Vandervoort of Clemson Insider. Will, thanks so much for joining us. And when we come back, it's time for Fizz Feedback on the Score 1260. You're listening to Fizz Radio. Welcome back into Fizz Radio on the Score 1260. Thomas Schultz alongside with Brad Klein all the way up until the 10 o'clock hour here on Fizz Radio. And Brad, it's time for Fizz Feedback. Let's just get into it. What's our first question today? All right, well, if Barama Sidibe plays against Clemson today, who starts on the bench? It's Sidibe, Dolajai, Guerrier, or other? Comment below. We don't have any comments, but I'm going to take the other comment below section. I made this clear earlier. It's going to, or it should be Joe Girard. He's the weak link, but who do you think won this poll? So I'm going to go with the guy I said earlier, and I think Barama Sidibe is going to start on the bench, according to Fizz Nation. And I don't know if it's the right decision, but I do think I think having Gerard start on the bench would be the right decision. I agree with you there, Brad. I do think Bayheim is going to keep Gerard in the lineup, put Sidibe to start on the bench. Well, Sidibe got 65% of the vote there, so not, not too much confidence voted into Sidibe in his first game back. Welcome back, Barama Sidibe, okay? Now, whether Sidibe is on the floor or not, Syracuse basketball is on the bubble once again, Thomas. They have eight scheduled regular season games left. Would have been nine had the Louisville game not been canceled. So how many do they need to win to go dancing? One to two, three to four, four to five, or six plus? Thomas, what do you think? Well, right now, Syracuse is 10-5 and five overall, 4-4 four and four in Atlanta Coast Conference play. I don't think they need to go 6-plus. I think they need to go 4-5. to five. You get 15 wins in this weird season. You go 15, I don't know, maybe 9 or something like that. Like, 
it's enough. It's not great, but just to make it on the bubble, we've seen him do it before. Of course, you don't really have a ton of signature wins, Virginia Tech being the big one, that 78-60 blowout of the Hokies. But I do think you get those five wins, that should be enough to just push you over the edge in such a weird COVID-riddled season of March Madness selection. Yeah, and shout out David Pennock for pointing out uh, on Twitter that Syracuse, whether they win six plus or not, they don't really have any signature wins. And that Louisville game could have been one of their better wins had they even played it. So that kind of hurts Syracuse's case for an NCAA tournament, I will say. But I, I agree with you, four or five at this point. The ACC is pretty down. So if you finish, I would say a few games over 500, that should be good enough. But Overall, the Orange are on the bubble. Right now, I think uh, ESPN has them out. So they might need an ACC tournament win, whether they get 6-plus or not. Now, here's the thing, though, Brad, because I don't think they need a lot. But on the flip side of that, if you lose some of these games to some teams that aren't that good, the best team they play is at Louisville. Besides that, Georgia Tech's pretty good, but there's not a ton of, you know, top. There's just not a lot of great teams in the ACC this year, and there's not many good ones remaining on that schedule. Do you think that bracketology, maybe the people who are picking, say, you know what, yeah, they won five games, but some of those teams that they lost to down the stretch just weren't very good? Yeah, that's fair. And the other thing that you really have to look at is the non-con was pretty weak. And that's the thing. It's all. It's almost like talking about a, a group of five team when you're talking about, oh, well, your conference is weak. Okay, so the ACC is down. Let's think about what Syracuse did outside of the ACC. Buffalo is down this year, and they took the they took Syracuse on the road to overtime. Northeastern almost beat Syracuse. Those are two non-con wins that don't look very good on their resume. So if you're Syracuse, you really have to take care of business in the ACC. And again, I'm going to go back to it. They really need one, maybe even two wins in the ACC tournament. Yeah, I, I think that's you know kind of a make or break for Syracuse. I think even if you win five games and you lose the first ACC tournament game, maybe they say, you know what, we're not going to go put you in this year. And another game that they really squeaked out was that Brian 85-84 season opener. The thing is, though, Brad, is, yeah, they really, there were some teams that maybe they should have beaten pretty handily that they didn't. I don't see a really bad loss on this team so far. Pittsburgh's turning into a pretty solid team. They did blow out Syracuse by 20 points in the second meeting. The Orange lost to UNC at Chapel Hill. I can't really fault them for that bad of a loss. Rutgers was a top 25 team when they played. And then Virginia's and, a and top 10 team in the when country. Syracuse, when Syracuse lost to Rutgers on the road, they were without Barama Sidibe and Buddy Behan. That's two starters, and they played pretty close. Yeah, so, I mean, look, we can do this all day long, and it's really just more of this schedule, some of it because the ACC is down, some of it frankly, because of the pandemic and you just couldn't schedule teams that were that far away from your campus. That's why they played all these Northeastern teams this season. And I think there's going to be some leniency amongst the uh, the bracket pickers because there's just, you know, maybe if you beat Louisville, I think that kind of secures your spot, stamps it in if you don't, you know, blow it to some other teams down the stretch. But it's just a weird year. And yeah, it affects Syracuse, but it also affects all the other teams involved too. Well, the other thing is, and I hope this really doesn't play uh, a part in the selection process, but money. Syracuse brings in a lot of money. The NCAA is strapped for cash because they didn't play last year. So maybe that helps Syracuse's case, them making the tournament because they bring in money. Yeah, and they are always kind of a team 
on upset watch of taking down a top opponent. But that'll just about do it for us here on Fizz Radio on the score 1260. Syracuse's game against Clemson coming up at 2 p.m. We'll see you next Saturday for some more Fizz Radio.